Everybody and welcome to episode 385 of the Siren Studs podcast. I'm Kurt, joined once again this week by my space-bound co-host Peter. That's that's incredibly true, Kurt. That's never been more true <laughs> in my entire life. Um, we're coming at you this week with the Amnesia edition of the cast because I have to ask you: Do you remember? I thought you meant amnesia and that my special defense was raised by two stages. Do you remember that psychic uh, buff movie? It is the 21st night of December. What was that? That uh, bad pun. Um, no, it's it's 21st night of September. Yeah. Happy, happy Earth, Wind, and Fire Day. To those who celebrate. <laughs> to those who partake. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is the... This might be the Easter uh, to Festivus's Christmas. <laughs> Maybe. The, the cycle is now complete. I don't know. This, is, is that, I mean, surely it must be a thing. If we've thought of it, surely someone else has. Oh, you, you, you give me, you, you dangle that out in front of me like bait, and you know I have to take it. Um, well, I also am curious. Earth, but... Wind, and Fire Day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. From yeah. Nine News. There. Oh, man. I got a picture of. Uh, I, I feel like I should remember all, all of their names, but I only remember the first name of one of them, and I couldn't place it. I just know the name Maurice. Maurice White was the original yes. lead singer. He's and dead he's, now. Yeah. Um, Philip Bailey took over. I gotcha. He was what? in the band concurrently with him as well. I see. Um, there's a picture of them in the local in the in the Nine News here that I'm looking at, and they still look fly as shit, fly fly as fuck. Well, you know. They never went out of style. We just went out of style. Yeah, I don't know how the the grandmaster uh, kung fu robe really does go out of style. That I I don't know that can it's it's been a staple of the wardrobe of many a Shaolin monk for centuries yeah, at this point. We've got the grand. I'm looking at this picture. We've got the grandmaster like dojo um, monk. We've got. Uh, blinged out Dumbledore, and we have a uh, ghost rare businessman. <laughs> That's gonna be my new gamer tag on Steam. <laughs> ghost rare businessman. <laughs> oh, I don't know why that reminded me that Lorcana is out now. Um, which which one's Lorcana? That's, that's the Disney one. The, I the thought Disney that was one. no Runeterra is a different one. Oh yes, Legends of Runeterra. I get those two mixed up in my head because I care about them equally, which is to say, I don't care about either of them at all. Yes. All I know is that what is it like? Rafiki Lock is a thing in the first format. <laughs> <laughs> I 
where it's and it's they immediately learned how to play stacks. This this generation of children, I'm glad, will be the first to be able to be pub stomped in their uh their childhood game that was created during their their youth. Because right. there's established trading card players like when we were kids, trading card games like this were like a new thing. Yes. When we were kids, right? Like Magic is like the first mainstream one. That was '93, and Yu-Gi-Oh came in '96. So we were all learning together. But now this generation has a new card game. But we have you have all the vets who will totally come <laughs> and take your tournament money. <laughs> Absolutely, it's like uh, that. It's like the that clip from um, Back to the Future, where instead of them watching the show, it's the kid watching a guy combo off. Yeah. like, oh man, this is one of my favorite reruns. What do you mean? It's the first time this has happened. It's brand new. <laughs> yeah, like literally one of the first strategies, I guess, was um, resource destruction lock. I feel like that's always the strategy in the card game. Like the first strategy you try to do, other outside of just like how fast can I, you know, meet the win condition. As intended. Um, how do I? And keep then you get into research playing. denial. I don't know how to play. But it's very I difficult to, to sure lose. As as a man who has played his fair share of eight rack, I can assure you, it is difficult to lose when your opponent can't play the game. Yes. I want to say the other, the only other strategy is super uh, fast aggro, but I feel like that's mainly magic. Like, Yu-Gi-Oh! doesn't have, like, an equivalent of red deck wins. Um, you could argue most Yu-Gi-Oh! decks are red deck wins. I feel like they're all, Do you know, I feel like they're all combo. OTKs are so prevalent. Right, um, but it, that's like a combo Well, yeah, I, I guess you know it is. Well, it depends on... There are, yes, in that it's effects that cascade, but sometimes the effect is just summon monster and other thing happens i feel like six samurai oh like original six samurai would yeah be... six samurai is kind of like that where you it's it's just more of satisfying summoning conditions so you can swarm the field very quickly so it, in a way it is very analogous thread deck wins because you're using low to the ground creatures that you can get out for not out. consuming yeah. much of your your available resources like your normal summon. <laughs> I I remember the stories of the first um before Red Deck Wins was Red Deck Wins, it was called Sly, and it was so janky that it had non bows built in. <laughs> it had dwarves, and then it had a card that says this card can't attack if you have any dwarves. <laughs> and it played them in the same deck. Because those were the only cards that you could play for one mana at that time. It's amazing. Uh, and we learned all about that from our live viewing location uh, hundreds of miles above the Earth's uh, surface. From up here, we can see it all, including the best ways to exploit your Lord Terra brute, uh, board state. <laughs> <laughs> That in the corner. We can the see fields. the meta clear from here. <laughs> if you look closely, you can see a a very prominent visual symbol. <laughs> Maybe this will be a, a motif carried throughout the story. We're of course talking about 
uh, the corn rocket, the crocket, yeah, uh, in a million miles away, yeah, that's the corn movie. rocket, corn rocket, corn rocking. Why not? Why not corn rocket? There's a taco place uh, about a block from me that it's it it is the taco slash tequila bar slash tattoo parlor because a logical harmony of businesses just cram them all in there uh the only two things i i remember about it are that there is very small tables so my like my elote was uh, scattered all over the table it's like this is it's way too easy to make a mess here and also there's a giant pink neon sign that shines right through the front window saying soft corn porn. And it's very awkward when driving by with like family. Why do you go, advertise that? Hey P- Peter, what's that in the window? I'm like <laughs> I I ha- do I pretend I'm illiterate? <laughs> do I just read it out? I go, well, if you I, say you know, soft with, corn porn, yes, um, because that makes it PG, <laughs> the corn part. Well, it, it, I don't know. Look, I don't know. It either. does sound like it's some sort of that was the move to do. It does sound like a tab that might show up on Pornhub. It's just like some weird, very niche. It's like one of those. Um, Urban Dictionary sex, sex acts that you read the definition for, and you're like, no one's ever fucking done that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was, that used to be, they used to be social media, was reading, reading the Darwin Awards and reading uh, Urban Dictionary. It was a simpler time. It was, it was 2000, 2009. Some might say a better time. Um, but we were, I don't know, we were, we were watching, we were on the internet. We weren't even watching trailers, how far we've progressed. We've come here and we've developed the technology. How far we've progressed into the show. We have reached our first segment. We've done it. Ten and a half minutes in. That's actually pretty good time. That, that is, that is remark- staggeringly efficient by our normal standards. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to barrel through this entire thing. No holds well, barred. There's, there's not a me, whole lot. Yeah. Put me on 2x speed for your for your podcast reading or your no, it's a, a your audiobook, right? When you're walking, you put your audiobook on 2x speed. I I guess. I know some people just do that to get more stuff in. I never it always sounds weird to me. Like at 2x, one and a half is a little bit better, but even then, like, there's no pauses between words and it makes me a little anxious. You got to speed it up to like 100x where it's just like um, subconscious uh, wigglings in your ear. <laughs> yeah, past a certain point, like, you can no longer perceive the audio. You got to, no, the real move is you got to interpolate two books. So. One of every word is being said in the gap between another word, so you can read, two, you can listen to two audiobooks at the same time. That's how that works. You know, it's going to be fun for the listeners of this episode hitting the timestamp to go to Trey Watch and then having to listen to another two minute bit not at all related to Trey Watch. <laughs> I love putting, that for them. <laughs> keep 
putting it off. <laughs> uh, procrastinator studs, uh, which I don't know why I'm not getting there. Uh, why I'm holding off. I never do. As much do. time as possible to get to the point. Because the trailers in Trey Watch are pretty good this week. For the most part, one's kind of confusing. And I think we'll start with that. Yes. Um, well, All Us Strangers. So it's not, it seems pretty straightforward from the trailer. It's uh, Brokeback Mountain meets Cinema Paradiso. But where it gets weird is uh, the the ghost angle that yes. they're playing. <laughs> I, I, yes, he goes back to, it's like, here, I, I'm, he, meet my boyfriend, ghost family. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I'm like, sure it's like a metaphor for him coming out to his parents or never getting the chance to come out to his parents or whatever. Um, But, like, I don't know how you you make a whole movie out of that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what I thought. That is a that's like a scene in a movie, not uh, like an that. Hour that can be of... your emotional climax. Um, and maybe maybe it is, but if it is your big emotional climax, why did you put that in your trailer? Yeah, unless unless the relationship is like the framing device and the whole movie is like walking through the flashback. It's one giant. You're probably wondering how I got here. Yeah. Cause that's, I don't know. This movie seems a little too artsy for that. Yeah. Who's, uh, who's the trait? Who's the, uh, studio. For uh, this? this is searchlight. Okay. Formerly Fox searchlight. Yes. Which, side news, other news, um, ring the bells, ring the town bells, uh, Rupert Murdoch stepped down as his, his like, front man, explicit leader of Fox <laughs> and um, News Corp. News Corp, yeah. He's retired um, to work, he's retired to the position of Shadow Emperor. Yeah. Um, gotta believe... There's something real. I know he's 92, but I gotta believe there's something real nasty about the hit, hit the public that he's done. Yeah. I, I, and this is, this is his way of protecting the company. It's kind of like how Vince McMahon stepped down. <laughs> yes. That's, it's, I would, it's a remarkably similar playbook uh, between companies like that. Um, oh yeah, when you get to that size, that's just they all run from the same playbook. Someone from from the Black Ball Society shows up at your company's door and hands your receptionist the uh, the playbook. Yeah, the playbook and the recipe for the hate serum. Uh, because <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure, like, he's not. It's the company doing what it does is keeping him alive at this point. Subsist, he's subsisting on, on the work he the the deadly work he's wrought in the world. Like it's amazing the 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 tremendous impact on just the fabric of this nation that this one man had. 
It's like Dory. It's one man have a crazy idea of what if we did a cable news channel that was just full of the most outlandish bullshit. Yeah. What if I just, what if I did the news for all of Australia? <laughs> what if I, what if I owned the news? Um, no, I think he's like, it's like Dorian Gray where he's being kept alive, but instead of a portrait of himself, it's just Gutfeld. <laughs> I I don't even watch that show. I why for why would I? But I don't know anything about that show. Only that it's it's Gutfeld exclamation point. Well, now I have I you've piqued my curiosity. I know it's it's supposed to be, I think, quote unquote comedy. Oh, I see. He's kind of. I actually know. I think I did see a clip from Gutfeld about something. I don't know if it was the Titanic two or the taxpayer money being spent for Auntie Donna's coffee cafe. (laughs) (laughs) But I believe I've seen him. He's kind of like. He does feel like he just hovers around the periphery. I don't know. Yeah. He's a specter. He's corrupting my mind. He's sending me ghosts of my Irish family. Yeah, so they're Irish. So it's a, it's po- I suppose Irish. an important important thing to, to point out there. Yeah. Um, but next, we get a double dose this week. Yes. Some good old-fashioned Nick Cage. Nick Cage just stepping out with it. <laughs> I does he Nick do Cage? I guess just doesn't strike. <laughs> Nick Cage strikes twice, the same place twice. Um, I feel like it's just he just made his way in. I don't know his comical hot air balloon made his way around to Hollywood again. He's like, all right, time for me to fill up on more movies. <laughs> yeah, um, um, he's been getting pretty consistent work those past few years. Yes, I. I think since uh, first the, I was the pig era he's kind of stepped back into regular uh movie creation again. Yeah. Um after with. he paid off all his debts. <laughs> uh let's start with Dream Scenario. Okay. Uh which is a very interesting, very very original concept for a movie. Uh Nick Cage is just an average dude uh college professor and uh for whatever reason, he keeps showing up in everyone's dreams like some sort of goofy Freddy Krueger. Yeah, this is um, this is like one of the one of the lamer SCPs. Yeah, like, this is a. Uh, it's not Nightmare on Elm Street. It's um, kind of bad dream on. It's, uh, it's cheese dream on Lawrence Ave. Yeah, Lawrence. cheese dream on thirty fifth. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as as the movie wears on, it, it it might become a little more malevolent. There's some some shit they put in the end there that makes it seem like fame of being being the dream guy. That as his psyche uh, maybe is stressed by his newfound fame, his um uh, actions in these people's dreams become more violent. That might be the angle they're playing here. Um, Regardless, we get to see manic Nicolas Cage performance. 
Yeah, I don't think we're he's I don't think he's going to go full cage here. No. But mostly from the Polk quotes praising his work. Usually when he goes full cage, uh you don't get that kind of praise. <laughs> um yeah, who, but yeah, who's the director seemed... here? Cuz we got to we got to assemble the roster of of cage tamers. Christopher Borgil. Borgli. Christopher Borgli. All right. Christopher Borgli. What have you made, Mr. Borgli? What He's an interesting-looking dude. Uh, sick of myself, which is what he came out with last <laughs> year. Air. Ear. Whatever. I love. I love that. Whateverist. <laughs> um. Oh, let me see what. A handful of shorts, strips. So he's newer. Which makes sense. This is an A24 joint, and what A24 does is they take uh, newer directors who have done some kind of artsy indie stuff, and then they give them a little bit more money than that Mm. and say, we can give you a little bit more money than that and maybe a big-name actor or two. Make this movie. Make make your movie. (laughs) And he's like, well... Who, what actor can you get for this kind of role? Like, who's going to do this? Oh, don't worry. I have him on speed dial, and it's just the this... big red button from, like, <laughs> our band in, like, Flint. <laughs> just says cage across it and big white typeface. Yep. <laughs> it's just the cage alert. It's a... <laughs> What would what would the symbol that appears in the night sky to beckon Nicholas Cage look like? <laughs> Nicholas Cage's face, obviously. Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, I walked into that one, <laughs> and then Nicholas Cage walked into this movie. Um, <laughs> but again, anyone who can wrangle, anyone who can wrangle the cage, and get a good uh, performance out of him, is to be well commended. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I've, he he likes to bring his A game for A twenty four movies. Um, or actually, I don't want to talk out of my ass. I think Pig was an A twenty four movie. Um, but I might be wrong about that. A twenty four movie. Um, it's Neon, which is the same okay. sort of same sort of niche. We, it's A twenty three and a half. <laughs> um okay but yeah no this is definitely the kind of movie where if you yeah you just gotta if you can entice him with a really good premise um okay i am to be you've officially let me down um they only gave peg a 6.9 out of 10 it only has a 6.9 out of 10 on imdb they don't appreciate ridiculous. cage what is what are the bad reviews for, all right me we had a plan for for our reviews. In light of this news, I might have to. We might have to call an audible here. <laughs> but we'll do that after we check out our other and last trailer here, our last full trailer. There is one other thing I want to talk about. Um, not really a trailer, but a coming soon kind of thing. But that's after this. That's after we cross, but just crossing. <laughs> Yeah, Butcher's um, Cl- Crossing, starring guess who? Nick Cage. Nick Cage. What if Nick Cage 
started killing buffalo. And he just kept killing buffalo. Yeah. We just based on a true story. <laughs> we took Nick Cage out. He just he just kept shooting the buffalo. He said, "Stop! Yeah. You, you gotta stop the cage." He's like, "No, I gotta kill them all." Um, I hope there's there's more to this movie than just buffalo being shot because uh, be kind of sad yeah. if it's just a movie of harm being done to animals. But mm-hmm. it's, um, it's an interesting part of history that I don't think a lot of westerns have ex- like fu- fully covered. I feel like it's been a part of a few Western movies, but you know, there hasn't been one about like the systemic over hunting of the Buffalo herds. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of a, a different thing for movies to explore in general. Like there haven't been a whole lot of movies about, or at least like scripted dramas about um, things like deforestation and overhunting mm-hmm. of certain animal populations. Yeah. Um, and it, I, I like the angle that they do take with it where they use that as a frame for um, the, you, you're out in the wilderness with a madman and it slowly dawns on you that this guy is going to break at any second. Yeah. Like the, the I'm sure a good, portion of this movie and kind of they show some of it they tip some of their hand in the trailer is that you know these people are have kind of made a deal with the devil essentially and Nick Cage's character is just going to become more and more mentally unstable as time wears on and I believe eventually he's going to attempt to kill them and maybe succeed maybe not we'll see yeah um so my my headcanon is that Nicolas Cage did, in fact, shave to the crown line for a dream <laughs> scenario and then said, oh, fuck it, and just went full bald for this. I think he's bald in dream scenario. Too. He's either bald or wearing a bald cap in dream scenario because I can kind of see around the edges of his hair what looks to be like a bald cap line. It is a very, It is a very exaggerated kind of a crown line shape. It looks like it's a piece. Um, so. I don't know. I Make saw. of that what you will. Yep. Uh, so the last thing I want to talk about for a Trey Watch, uh, again, not a trailer, but um, kind of in the wake of the writer's strike, uh, Netflix is you know, trying to think, what do we do? What do we put out? How do we, what's the thing we can market um, besides our, our buffet of stuff? And... Um, they're leaning into anime because they they're formatting it into drops. They, there's a big trailer thing out for Netflix Drop O One, uh, and it is including so it's a bunch of their animated stuff, like just a kind of compilation trailer of a bunch of stuff coming out the twenty seventh. So, um, Castlevania Nocturne, uh, Oni Musha. Um, uh, Scott Pilgrim, Sonic Prime. I think there was a Watch Dogs animated show in there. Interesting. Um, yeah, so it's just all of their upcoming um, animated stuff that they kind of had floating around. They're marketing it as one kind of big um, uh, content blast. 
which, I mean, maybe it'll... But that's not all new stuff. Like, Sonic Prime's out, unless it's a new season of Sonic Prime. I think it's a new season, yeah. Okay. Um. Oh, oh they're doing Far Cry Blood Dragon, the animated series. That could work. Yeah. That could work. Captain Laser... Captain Laserhawk, a Blood Dragon remix. That has the potential to be good. Yeah. So Netflix is they've they've leaned into it. They're like, all right, people like people like watching the animus on us, so we'll we'll try it. I we'll see if it works. If no, well, I, I don't know. I think it's just their animated content. They're just pushing it making raising awareness of it i guess because it's not like they're producing a lot of original like anime anime right and it's not and like this is like a cohesive they're theme. not trying to siphon market share from Crunchyroll, is what i'm getting at <laughs> right that makes sense um this is just, so it's just a different marketing kind of thing uh that's yeah. And that's really it for this week. It's the only ones I've seen. Yeah. Let's uh, go now. We're just moving right along. To the follow-up, which uh, we'll begin now. And that takes us to the box office results for weekend 37 of 2023. Man, year's getting a little long in the tooth, huh? <laughs> 15 weeks left in the year. <laughs> Oh boy, just in time to drop the Marvels. Yeah. To come in as at the home stretch. Is that out next week? The Marvels? I don't think they're coming yeah. out for uh like till December. The creators next week, that's right. Yes. Yeah, the Marvels November tenth, so that's our that's gonna be our Thanksgiving movie. Ooh, joy, joy, joy. Um, but that movie's not out right now. It's not atop the box office. The Nun two is remaining atop the box office for its second week. None One two, for each nun. <laughs> doing none too poorly. None too uh, shabby. Yeah. Fifteen feeders have decided to pick up this surging sensation. That's sweeping the nation to the tune of $14.5 million, um, bringing its total worldwide gross to $164 million. So that's got to be highly profitable given yeah. it's a movie titled The Nun 2. <laughs> we'll be, we, made, we made all of those jokes when that came out, when we saw the yeah. trailer for that. Uh, I, I'd, be, I'd be down for like a a sister act nun crossover where Whippy Goldberg has to be the final girl against uh, the demon nun. See, Hollywood, you don't have to cave to the writer's demands. Just come to me, I'll scab. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you can be the, you can be the executive producer of um, the nun three, uh, sister act three. (laughs) Nun to, uh, then we'll have none too, none too pleased. <laughs> we'll bring Bruce Willis out of retirement again for then for number four, uh, back in the back, uh, Sister Act four. Old habits die hard. 
Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. Shame. Shame we'll never get that. Maybe she can be in the Expendables. (laughs) Expendables 5 with Whoopi Goldberg. She's probably falling ass backwards into an action movie before, so... She was in, um... Uh... What's the name of it? Th- Thaddeus Rex or something? The one where she was the partner to a dinosaur cop? Um, let's see. Okay, that does sound a little familiar, despite all all reason indicating that that should not Theodore be familiar Rex. at all. Yes. Theodore, Theodore Rex, Rex is a 1996 buddy cop science fiction comedy film written directed by Jonathan Butel and starring Whoopi Goldberg. She has over 205 acting credits. That is a lot. Is it... Wait, is it just the dinosaurs from Dinosaurs? It's basically the dinosaurs from Dinosaurs. (laughs) Well, they were just sitting in Jim Henson's creature shop, (laughs) collecting dust. When when did this movie come out? Because it came out in 1995, so this could be on on the docket. (laughs) Um, But what date I just wanted to make sure it didn't come out When I came out (laughs) Oh no no 1996 Wikipedia says July 2nd 1996 I am older than this movie I have seniority over it It cannot harm me I know that was really important to you I'm I'm pleased that you were able to find some Some peace I'll be able to sleep tonight Getting back to the box office. <laughs> um, Haunting in Venice finds itself in second place with a $14.2 million opening weekend. Not enough to take down the Nun 2, but that's as close a, close a second as I've seen in quite some time. Yeah. Maybe if maybe if there, there was a Nun haunting them in Venice. That would do maybe, maybe if... A haunting in Venice had the extra four hundred and thirty-eight theaters. It would have made up the difference. <laughs> Powerful math skills. That was uh, yeah, I've been, been doing a lot of math uh, in my head recently. <laughs> I was uh, I was I saw like a Reddit post about like some Common Core math problem, and people were arguing like, "Oh, this is a stupid problem." This is what's wrong with math today. You know, the other people are like, oh, this is actually really easy. You're just stupid because you don't get it. I'm like, this is just formatted like shit. Yeah, that's how I feel about a lot of Common Core stuff. Like, I un- I feel like Common Core's head is in the right place. Like, it's trying to teach kids number sense and, like, that getting them a feel for how, how you can manipulate numbers to, you know, do st- stuff in your head more easily. Right. But it's just not nailing it right it's like it wasn't even a the thing for me like it wasn't even an issue with the math or the logic or anything it just i didn't know what i was looking at yeah it's it's really draw some separating lines so i can see the three concepts that you're trying to put together (laughs) into this answer just want just want to shake them bring them to an excel sheet and just start formatting stuff in front of them (laughs) um but uh, instead, I'm here uh, looking at the real 
reviews. The, co- the <laughs> common core of reviews. Yeah, uh, so uh, this, this has found its way in our spotlight, and you do not hear me frantically trying to grab reviews. Um, that's not at all what's happening. I'm no, telling sir. you, I'm telling um, you exactly, and that's why what I'm, to expect that's here. That's not why I'm telling you the Metacritic score uh, right now, the IMDb score. Um, as we <laughs> in silence, I'm doing it in sign language, yeah. so our deaf viewers can can see. No, this has a 63 Metascore, uh, 6.8 on IMDb. So it is a good to middling movie. Yeah, uh, generally favorable is what the 63 Metascore would uh, indicate, 7.0 user score. So uh, generally found to be a decent movie. Um, But again, all we really care about is what are the real reviewers saying about this? What What is the pulse of the nation? A reviewing in Venice. Because as everyone knows, when you've lost the IMDb user review section, you've lost America. Yeah. It's the heartland. It's not in one place. It's in one website. Um, <laughs> side quest for you, Kurt. Um, I well, you have, all the, you have all the top reviews. You always do the top reviews, but we're yeah. sharing the load with the bottom yeah. ones today. How many have you seen where it's like they're trying to do a play on the title? But it just doesn't work. Um, I only looked at the one stars, so I've I've seen such gems as that number would be zero. <laughs> I have one here that's one of those awful titles, but um, I've seen like a boring in Venice. I see a a, a haunting in bad. That's yeah. That. Mm. Like, what are you guys doing here? You're really you, trying to. You had it. all the time you needed to think of something. You didn't have to do it like on the fly. This is a written review submitted at your leisure. They had to get in before the 11:59 deadline. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, our first real reviewer did not uh, did not take that tact with his uh, review title here uh we have cosmasp cosmaps cosmasp i don't know um he has a nine out of ten review here tis the season ellipses to perot actually to be jolly or rather spooky i reckon question mark no pun intended for sure what none achieved (laughs) You, you haven't put one one coherent sentence together so far, buddy. If you like what Kenneth Branya has done with Perot, you will like this one too for sure. Maybe you'll like this one even if you were not too keen on the other two movies because this does not really have a baggage. <laughs> well, except for the Perot character written by Agatha Christie, of course. <laughs> But apart from some TV versions, which I, parenthetical, which I assume almost no one has seen, I know I haven't, there's nothing to compare it to, or something else to find way better, rightly or wrongly so. <laughs> He's like using M dashes for some reason, oh with, with no real... Uh, he wants to be Hercule Poirot. He, he probably pronounces Poirot. <laughs> Uh, though I understand if someone has romantic feelings about the movies they've seen in their youth, 
This has a bit of a supernatural flair to it, ellipses. Could it be that there is more to life, question mark? Can Perot finally be convinced of things that he can't explain, question mark? The movie is a fun murder mystery, ellipses. I love those second ellipses. Well done, Kenneth. Third ellipses. Well done. No chance this person is under 60. Dude, you just need commas. A comma will do you. That was that's that's dead giveaway for old people. Old people writing is that they just put ellipses everywhere. Is that a thing? I don't know that I've observed that, but I also don't communicate via text with old people too much. You don't talk with the olds. Yeah, I've I have a couple of uh, people in really my just my life. grandma, and uh, she doesn't seem to do that. Not really a textural person. No, I have I have a few people in my life who like will send me an email, and regardless of tone, they will put an ellipses on the end, like <laughs> "It's your birthday today." Dot dot dot. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. It's like well, you don't need to you don't need to like trail off at the end of all your sentences. Uh, there is one last sentence this review. Okay. Uh. Also true of the camera and the script slash characters, parenthetical, the latter I reckon at least loosely based on the book, M-Dash, which I haven't read. <laughs> Shockingly, you'll be shocked to learn that only one out of two people have found this helpful. It's uh, Haunting Venice, my favorite plural story. I can't wait to read it. I'm still being censored on IMDb, by the way. They're not collecting my votes. You gotta. Yeah, I guess you have to submit some reviews. You have to. Yeah, I have copy to and paste a, a too short review three times over. To oh, dude! Limit. I need to find the Andrew uh, Andrew Jackson copy pasta. Yes, from that on. Back. I have it. I gotta have it somewhere. It's yeah. It's there's no the- way we've let that that get lost potentially to the ether. Yeah, that is absolutely a. Uh, it's a document. It's a classic. Um. It's like the Declaration know. of Independence in some way. Yeah. And I don't know if Darren Kaminsky's uh, 3 out of 10 review. I went to the threes. Ooh, Again, fancy. Jake, Jake does not dare to step to, the, to these levels. But I'll go there. Um, with Darren Kaminsky's 3 out of 10, uh, a haunting in some times. <laughs> just, just the worst. Just the worst sure. title for <laughs> Why not? <laughs> oh. A haunting in Venice starts with a problem. The source material. The source Ooh. material for murder on the Ori- Orient Express is set on the Orient Express. The source material for death on the Nile is set in Egypt on the Nile. Uh, the source material for a haunting in Venice is set in East Sussex or, or thereabouts. <laughs> <laughs> now, this didn't have to be an issue. But something feels off throughout the movie. All of the fine touches and period detail that make Agatha Christie such a joy just aren't there because Agatha Christie wasn't writing about Venice. And it shows. Uh, The location just doesn't feel necessary to the story. Now there's plenty of V-E-N-I-C-E in this adaptation. Uh, But it's... it's, He wrote that as an acronym, like it's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) but it's all in hit-you-over-the-head drone shots and endless repetitive shots of gondoliers in scary Venetian masks. 
but it all feels off. Uh, the film is. What about the mosquitoes? That's what I remember most about Venice is the fucking mosquitoes. The I didn't plague. think there'd be mosquitoes. I don't know why I didn't think that because the whole fucking city's built on standing goddamn water. water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but, ah, the summer plague of insects. <laughs> the summer pestilence. <coughs> this film is full of scary horror gotcha moments that feel very, very out of place in Agatha Christie and quite a bit of exorcist spinning camera. Uh, not sure if this is a spoiler, but it's a warning for those who would like to bring Dramamine. Uh, Branagh uh, makes a passable Poirot, but I really do think that he's not playing Poirot so much as he's playing David Suchet playing Poirot. But who can blame him? David Suchet is so completely Poirot that sometimes it's easy to forget that Suchet isn't Poirot. And that's not a problem. <laughs> Franag wouldn't be the first actor to base his character on another actor's performance. Being kind, it feels like a tribute, but it's hard not to feel the inauthenticity in the performance. Was Suchet not available? The mystery itself is spruced up from the original material, and not in a good way. It's full of clues that don't matter, intense visual imagery that's misleading, and events that are both implausible and distracting. Overall, a boring, middling, and poorly constructed attempt at a story about the world's most precise detective. Two out of five. Found that helpful. That's what I think. Um, moving on. Moving up. Stepping up to um, Matthew Michael Hoffman. I think that's a pretty bold claim. That we're stepping up to anything. <laughs> I don't know that we're... I don't necessarily... Star rating being higher doesn't mean the quality of the review is going to be any higher. In fact, quite the opposite, usually. Yes. It's uh, certainly true. Um, nevertheless, he is out here making these, these... The audacity of making 6 out of 10 reviews. Um, 6 out of 10. I was tricked... <laughs> score 6.4 out of 10 uh, if you've seen one you've seen them all however A Haunting in Venice does deserve a bit of credit for its unique style that left my heart jumping out of its chest from start to finish I asked my sister Mary if this was scary which I thought to be a rhetorical question but she informed me that it was a PG-13 mystery as it gets she tricked me. Within the first 15 minutes, I was jump-scared about five times, and although I am not a fan of being jump-scared, I can at least appreciate that aspect of what they were going for. As far as the whodunit part of the story, they got me. I had no idea that it was the mother, but I also was just... <gasps> Gasp. Uh, but I also was just lost in general and had no suspicions of anyone. <laughs> it wasn't a whodunit where you have like five or six people and they make it obvious that it that it could be. Um, and it ends up being the person you either least expect or most expect. But then again, the reveal felt more about the method in which the murders happened and the motive behind them as opposed to who actually did it, which I felt was a strong decision. I liked it more than I didn't, but nothing really groundbreaking took place. 
Also, if you decide to check this out, watch it in Dolby Audio. That definitely made it a cooler experience. Zero out of zero. Brilliant. Found that helpful. You know, Sorry I, for I do a haunting in Venice for you. I appreciate his his honest evaluation of himself, though. Yeah, like he's he's very real about who he is. We could all and use that. I, I think, yeah, I think the world could use a, a few more people like that in it. Um, it might also need more, perhaps less. I haven't read the review, really. Uh, <laughs> of Andrew Christian Jr. Oh. And his Maybe 8 out of 10 review. Super fun! All caps, exclamation mark. So you know he's serious. That's Started with some beautiful shots of Venice and Instantly, I was captured by how beautifully shot this film is. This yeah. was a really good Perot. It's appropriate for the Halloween season, and it achieves that without silliness or gore. <laughs> Synopsis. A haunting in Venice is set in an eerie post-World War II Venice on All Hallows' Eve and is a terrifying mystery featuring the return of the celebrated sleuth Hercule Perrault, now retired and living in self-imposed exile in the world's most glamorous city. Perrault reluctantly attends a seance at a decaying haunted plazoo. When one of the guests is murdered... The detective is thrust into a sinister world of shadows and secrets, which is literally just the synopsis from IMDb. Oh, you gotta love it. Uh, 35 out of 49 found that helpful. <laughs> <laughs> One paragraph of original thought. <laughs> I was trying to put my, my, my finger on who you sounded like in that review. I was trying to do a Todd Clorox, but I, I couldn't I commit see. to it. You know what? It came my the it took a while, but I eventually landed on the lead singer of the B fifty twos. Oh yeah, that was that. That's you know, it did sound a little bit more like that when you say that. <laughs> Maybe I should do that for some of these reviews. Just read <laughs> like a B fifty two song from Benjamin Schuyler Hill. It's a five cinematography. <laughs> I still that's still my favorite voice to do when I'm alone. And no one can hear me. I just do uh, Love Shack, but it's Arnold Schwarzenegger instead of the, the lead singer. And he's just doing... I've got me a Chrysler. It's as big as a whale. It's about to set sail. <laughs> so come on. Bring them to Bring your juke bags, buddy. <laughs> it's the A52s. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how I could possibly. <laughs> um, but uh, I will. I will read now uh, from Motoko Saran. Uh, one out of ten. This is not Perot. <laughs> very, very insistent about that. Oh. Oh, the no. plot is messy, the characters are very bland, and not the iconic ones in the original. Everything about it is annoying. The best... But, but, 
but the worst of the worst is Perot. This angry creep is not the charming, if slightly silly, except when he needs to be deadly serious man that Christie created. This is an unpleasant, rough, angry man who falsely imprisons people, not caring at all for their safety. It is disgraceful. I could not put up with it if they changed Perot into something but... I could put up with it if they changed Perot into something, but not something this unpleasant and ordinary. If they wanted him to act like a cop, they should have just made a cop show. I was asleep through much of the film because nothing at, because really and nothing happened. 15 out of 28 found that helpful. Oh, good. Oh, yummy. Um, I contemplated trying to do a bad, moist, critical impression. For a hot minute, and then realize I really don't know how to do that. I I know how to do. I think it's just kind of like being very deadpan and, and slow. And, and from Benjamin Schuyler Hill, a haunting in Venice, five out of ten. Ken really does love his Dutch angles. <laughs> I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can run that one, Captain. Um, it didn't sound too bad for the three seconds you did it. All right, time. I'll take that. <laughs> Take that inch. It needed yeah. work. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I think with watch time and practice, you could get there. Watch as I practice live on air. No. Um, Ken really loves his Dutch angles. <laughs> Whereas the last two Brana or Agatha Christie adaptations were movies I sort of liked at first and started to realize were meh over time. This latest entry is one that I recognized as mediocre upon the first viewing. Granted, it was really refreshing to see that this time the filmmakers clearly put effort into the locations and production design. The film looks authentic and gorgeous as opposed to its predecessors that were overly reliant on unnecessary CGI backgrounds. The story does have some interesting ideas and compelling character interactions, but they unfortunately take a back seat half the time. For the other half, we get a lot of weak attempts at horror and red herring plot points that really amount to nothing. I don't know what happened <laughs> with the <laughs> I don't know what happened with your voice either. <laughs> Turn, yeah, here we are. Turning into fucking lemon grab from... Uh, <laughs> from adventure time unacceptable <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it i would uh cause a noise complaint if i did that impression uh <laughs> i don't know what happened with the performances but half of them are pretty great and the others are well awful uh the actors clearly didn't agree on what kind of movie they were in uh with some thinking it ought to be straight drama and others think thinking they should play it corny uh, like the like the previous films, this is a middling whodunit with all the rote machinations you expect from the genre. Nothing shocking, nothing gripping, but nothing so bad as to tank the experience. It's the definition of mediocre. Eight out of fourteen. Okay. That's a haunting in Venice. That's haunting down. Um, if nothing else, we got the A52s out of it, so it was a worthwhile transgression yeah, or digression. That. Uh, the Equalizer 3 finds itself in third place, fittingly, in its third week. Oh, triples are wild. Triples is best. Triples is safe. Yep. Um, 
down 39.8%, which is not a big drop week over week, despite leaving uh, 437 theaters. The same theater, same theatrical difference between Haunting Venice and The Nun 2. Or just about. Um, Equalizer 3 has brought its worldwide gross up over $134 million. Um, what What is the budget on this? I gotta imagine that we're, we're in the black on this now. Equalizer 3 budget, especially since I believe the budget on this was a lot less. Ooh, $70 million still. Um... But yeah, I'd say they're they're probably solidly in the black. This wasn't advertised that heavily. I can't imagine they spent another seventy million advertising it. Yeah, I don't think they would have made this a Jason Bourne level production. The my fourth, big, f- which yeah. is not third. Uh, um, but it was in third last week. Yeah, just all all sorts of. They're not having it's a great off. time at the at the rummy table. <laughs> Um, my big fat Greek wedding three. It's the third one. Uh, <laughs> 4.8 million this week. Um, it's, it's out there. It's going. I, I want to know what 28 theaters looked at the box office returns last week for my big fat Greek wedding three and said, I need to get that. What? Yeah. Who? who said that's gonna right, move right. some. That's gonna move some merchandise for me. <laughs> I'm looking at the. I like to think that between this and the Nun Two, those filled up the theaters that Jawan left. <laughs> this is roughly the same. But this is an overall slimming. It's it's again it's uh, cuts all along the board with not a lot coming in to replace it. Well, I mean that that's one new movie this week. They're they're running out of movies. They they're having to space out what they have in the can mm. um to kind of fill out the the schedule here and a lot of movies have had release dates pushed back because they're as yet unfinished and they're hoping that they'll be able to wrap up these strikes in time to get those movies done by those dates. But from what I understand, there's not been a lot of movement. I think they went back to the negotiating table last week, but I haven't heard anything come out of that. So as far as I'm aware, there's no end in sight to this strike, and I think we're going to be in for a real rough uh, early portion of next year. Like, fuck you, it's January on all... We might have to do 90s winter again. It might, it might yeah. not be enough to do 90s month. We might have to do 90s winter. I have to dip back into the archives and we're gonna have to find a whole new wellspring of of untapped movie potential we may even have to you know you know finally do 80s month <laughs> finally do 80s month we could also i think it's we were long overdue for some for some serious uh series reviews yes catch up on but some we haven't been haven't been uh Running a lot in the background on that lately. Bring we could get back. We could do some more Power Rangers. Yeah, we we've been meaning to do Lightspeed Rescue, which is the next season for a while, and I have it up on the Plex server now, so it can be done. These are we have we have plans. We'll have to see if my relationship can last binge watching entire season <laughs> of Power Rangers in like three weeks. 
it's the uh, it's the real test. It's the ultimate challenge there. Um, just like Barbie, who ultimately challenged the box office with their incredible numbers, is now smack dab in the middle at nine weeks. Uh, yeah, it's it stayed it stayed where it was at. Brought another uh, almost four million. Uh, despite running out of theaters and being available on on demand now, I think it's it's still like you have to pay twenty dollars to rent it for forty eight hours type deal, but right. it's uh it's available. You don't have to go to the theater to see it. Uh, but it it's raked in the dough uh, all around the world. One point four one eight billion dollars now. Billion. That is that is quite a lot. Um, so we'll see how how long it lasts. They may, we, I would say they may want to pull it so they can get it on streaming quicker. Well, I think it's going to last in theaters long after it's on streaming, just because theaters need to have something. That was my thinking. It's like <laughs> in a in a normal box office environment, this would have a little quicker expedite. But if it, this is a successful movie that they know they can just hold. Yeah, like get ready. Pattern. Get ready to see a lot of re-releases. So what's 2024 would be what 40 years since 1984? Mhm. A lot of big movies came out. 1984 was a big movie year. So I would say be prepared to see a lot of 1984 movies re-released into theaters in we the early part of next year. Like Supergirl or Caravan of Courage. An Ewok adventure. No, I'm thinking more like or Cannonball um, Run too. <laughs> Why are these the ones that popped up first? Oh, yeah. Here you go. Here's some actual ones. Um, they're gonna do the re-release of the 1984 Dune. That's yeah. Beverly Hills Cop was a 1984 movie. Karate Kid was a 1984 movie. Temple of Doom was a 1984 movie. Revenge. Oh, re- I don't know about Revenge of the Nerds. Amadeus. They might for the shock factor. factor. Amadeus, The Natural. um, 1984. uh, Terminator came out in 1984. Ooh. Yeah, there's a lot of of movies that came, a lot of big, well-remembered movies that came out in 1984. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street came out in 1984, the original one. Yep. Uh, Star uh, Wars 2, Attack of the Pleasure Pods. <laughs> I love I love this just this scroll where it's just yes, this is just things that came out in this in this year. Spinal Tap, Top Secret, Police Academy. Um I don't know how many of these kind of mid-budget comedies they put back into theaters. Um, just because, you know, comedies aren't exactly big don't money draws. Well, yeah. Well, oh, that's you... not that they don't age well. It's just they, they haven't recently been draws to the movie theaters. I don't know that they'd pin their hopes on them. Yeah. Oh, is Netflix going to... Hmm. Ghostbusters, make... another 1984 movie. Yep. Uh, The Karate Kid. If they do the Karate Kid movie of the series, like the co- if they do Cobra Kai, the full the feature length movie. Well, how are they going to do that during a writers and actors strike? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, that's the whole reason they'd be re-releasing these movies. Yeah. Uh, Children of the Corn. Speaking of Cobra Kai, Blue Beetle. Yep. I I could get lost in this. Nipping that shit in the bud right now. (laughs) Uh, Finds itself in six with a $2.5 million weekend. Solid retention week over week, only dropping 34%, but only in 2,300 theaters. Losing another 400 this week. It has brought in $120 million for DC. So, uh, you know, honestly, pretty close to The Flash um, in terms of total box office, which is surprising given that The Flash brought back Michael Keaton. There's, I've seen a lot of, like, di- apparently people hate that movie. The Flash? Yeah. Yeah, like, people, like... I feel like every, everyone, everything I hear about is just a, mainly about how the, the CGI was awful and then not anything else about it. Yeah, like I it wasn't the CGI that... CGI was not great. Um, no, it wasn't. But the movie itself wasn't bad. Like... The writing was funny. Yeah, it was... I think it did a good job with, like, showcasing the Flash as a character. I thought Michael Keaton was great. Mm-hmm. Um... And yeah, maybe the plot's kind of a little, a little bare. Yeah. Uh, but I think it told an interesting enough story with how it is. And, you know, there were some pretty emotionally charged moments that I was able to create. Yeah. Like, certainly it's, not. It's a fine movie. Like, it's honestly one of the better DC efforts I would, in a while. Yeah. We, we reviewed this and we talked about it, so go watch that. But again, I would easily pick this over something like Black Adam. Oh, oh God, yes. Oh my God, yes. Like you're if I never see Flash, Black... But then you're going to give Black Adam a pass? I don't know that anyone's giving Black Adam a pass, but there is... I have seen hyperbole that The Flash is like the worst DC movie yet, which, no. Black Adam is a thousand times worse yeah. than The Flash. Black Adam, Shazam 2... That wasn't awful, but it was. It was just like there was no, yeah, Shazam two. Like there was nothing definingly bad about it. It just wasn't interesting. Is my my main takeaway? I barely remember anything about it. I remember the unicorn joke. Yes. The skills joke in the big tree. That's that's about it. Uh, um, Jawan has has had its moment in the sun. It's dropped precipitously. <laughs> From uh, fourth place to seventh, down 60.7%. Uh, still killing it in third per theater average. Yes. It's just the hype. You know, the hype train has, the initial hype wave has passed. So you can't get packed theaters anymore. Yeah. Um, $21 million worldwide for Juan, which I we, we always say this about these crossover... Uh, like Indian movies that were not entirely certain that factors in the Indian box office. Because there are a lot of people in India. I know it's a pretty poor country. I don't know how what the movie-going situation is like over there. Right. But I imagine just by the sheer number of people, like the billions of people that live in India, that it'd make a little bit more than $21 million worldwide, with only nine and 9.3 million being international. Um, let's see. I'm I'm looking on Wikipedia. Like they should have some more information about this. Hopefully, one can hope. 
Well, it's all in, it's all in Corey. So I'm sorry. I need to. If one, if I learn one thing from this podcast, it's going to be how to convert Crore into millions, and it's going to be the most useless skill for anything outside of calculating box, Indian box office profits. Which is like, can we just take a step back and examine the road that we traveled in life to get us to this point where we are so fascinated by what a random fucking Bollywood movie has made in over in India. <laughs> We've, it's been a long way, and we it may be we may do the the uh, season of Bollywood. That's another <laughs> idea. That that'd be a rough one because they're all like seven hour movies. Yeah, that that is a that's a lot of film. Um, but anyways, just to look over here. So uh, first day release Hindi. So uh, eight point two release day was eight point two million in India. Um, in the Hindu, the um, yeah, the Hindi version with another one point three million from the Tamil and Telugu, for a net total of nine point five million. Um, overtook it was it did better numbers than Pathan. I know a lot of people <laughs> in the comments are gonna be angry about that one. Um, yeah, we're gonna get some nasty letters. Yeah, uh, in Australia, it became the first Indian film to top the box office, earning. Four hundred thousand Australian dollars on its first day. Ooh. Um, wow, that's pathetic. If that was a box office topper. No. Ah, yes, the Indi- the Australian cinema scene. Um. Yeah. So that's those are the the notables from from this. Yeah. So like the number on IMDb or on Box Office Mojo is uh, nine point three five international. So it was pretty close. Um, yeah, I guess it's just not, not as strong a market as you would have, as I would have thought, I should say, shouldn't put words in anyone's mouth. Uh, Gran Turismo, uh, finds itself in eighth. markets, I guess. Yeah. Uh, This movie was kind of a hard sell. Like, I don't know what audience, like it's, it's trying to, Mm -hmm. to cross over a lot of things that I don't think there's a lot of audience overlap for. Yeah. So, I uh, yeah, good. no, I was gonna say I I don't really have anything to say about it. I, I was gonna say yeah, something. I, I had nothing. Two point three mil, hundred mil worldwide, hundred and three. Uh, Oppenheimer hanging on in the top ten in its ninth week, two point oh nine five million dollars in just seventeen or just under eighteen hundred theaters. Literally one under eighteen hundred theaters. So it's in like half the feeders Barbie's in, and it's still making within one point eight million. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah um, but they have to get it out so that they can get in the Marvels yeah. in IMAX. It has it has uh, crossed over. I think the creator is the oh, next IMAX release. Yeah, I believe that. I keep wanting to say think that the creator is um, a Nolan movie. But it just has. It, it feels it feels a little bit like a Nolan movie, and it has John David Washington in it. Yeah, that's that's my main thing. I see John David Washington. I'm like, oh, and it's it's like serious and you know, kind of big themes. I'm like, oh, this. Can is I say movie. after watching Remember the Titans last week and seeing Young Denzel, John David does not look a damn thing like his dad. <laughs> not at all. If I'm Denzel, I'm asking about the milkman, <laughs> the apple. 
Got fucking volleyed from the tree. <laughs> uh, $913 million for Oppenheimer Worldwide. So um, outside chance it stretches across a billion when all is said and done. Uh, I'm sure it, it might it. it might get a re-release in uh, February when things are looking bleak, especially on the IMAX front. Um, yep. Got got to figure there's not going to be a lot of IMAX releases. Um, so I, I could see this possibly, but making a billion worldwide. And what an impressive, like already a very impressive movie. Like I was reading an article where one of the producers was like, "Our pipe dream scenario was matching Dunkirk's opening weekend." And it blew that out of the water. <laughs> it was it was it was a phenomenon what happened this summer. Um, yeah, I mean it's just it's need. also just a really strong movie. Like mm-hmm. word of mouth, I gotta believe, had a lot to do with how this three-hour-long R-rated movie <laughs> managed to stay relevant for as long as it did. Yep. Hope you know. We said the same thing we said with Deadpool was, will Hollywood learn the right lessons from it? The answer is no. No. The answer is always no. Hollywood never learns the correct lesson. Um, and this has no segue. Um, <laughs> they they did learn the lesson that putting a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie out is always a good plan if you just want to make some quick bucks. Uh, it is in 10th. It is It'll stay here until something else comes into theaters because everything moved down basically one slot except for Jawan. It's almost as if only one movie opened. <laughs> yeah. Um, not a lot of, of shifting in the in the ranks here. But uh made two million this week, uh, for an international total of hundred and sixty eight million. Yeah. Off a off a seventy million dollar budget, um, which is crazy to me that the equalizer three cost as much money as this fully animated feature featuring some rather big name voice talent yeah i don't and i have to wonder if a lot of them instead of taking a direct like cut or payment wanted a piece of the back end because this is a merchandising heavy movie so yeah, I'm sure they or they franchise, all franchise rather because this is also going to launch the next phase of the franchise. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of them wanted <clears throat> like a quarter point on merch or some shit like that. Yeah, that is the top ten. Yep, uh, that is the top ten. Bottomed out last. They are the they're the ones that dropped out. Yeah, who'd have thought that movie might struggle to find an audience? Well, uh... That is Wait, the- I was told that. Okay, so that oh. that was a lie then, because I was told that uh, Bottoms was an A twenty four movie. It's Orion Pictures, mm. which I don't believe are owned by A twenty four. Wait, hold up. Um, side note from from the deep down under of the below tenth place, um, Outlaw Johnny Black is making its theatrical debut this week, or made oh. it this week. 300 theaters. Okay, um, not by us yet, but yeah, we're... Ooh. The small theater take, but... Oh, that means that means we're going to have to to make a choice next week. Yeah. We've already committed to the creator. I, we'll I just can, have to get... 
We'll have to get Atla Johnny Black on the the next week. Yeah, but that that should be fine. I I can wait a little bit for for a good movie like that as long as we don't wait too long because I could see it just slipping right by. Well, I just it needs to open near us first. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's the follow up there, and uh, let's talk quickly about some gaming news big story this week at least in my mind is that uh cyberpunk 2077 2.0 has launched and with it the phantom liberty dlc uh which includes uh i mean well they'll the 2.0 update brought with it a lot of three dlc mm-hmm. um and there's also the phantom liberty paid expansion which is drawing nearly universal praise uh the the like critics consensus i guess you would say if i'm if i can pull a rotten tomatoes here is redemption are complete yeah um and 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 what i say when this game launched i can't wait to play this in five years when all the bugs are ironed out and uh we have hardware more capable of running it at its max specs. Now, I didn't count on the path tracing update bumping that hardware requirement up even further. And I was, uh, we're two years earlier, but my, right. my general point stands that the game, it, cl- it was clear to me that this was a good game at its core and people just needed to be able to experience it. It ran fine for me. That's why I was able to kind of see it for what it was. And now, as as happens often, people have come around to my way of thinking. <laughs> it also helps that people know what this game is now, like that they're not they're not buying it for something it isn't. I guess that has something to do with it, but um, my point still stands even with that. Uh, in there mm-hmm. so they've uh they've made some major overhauls on some of the systems so uh a big thing a big point of complaint was the police in the uh the base game were a little yes. too quick to respond uh the major change in this patch is the introduction of police chases which means you can pick a, a fight on foot or on the road, and the NCPD will respond more or less like you'd expect from a GTA game where cops will arrive in cars, not blipping into existence, <laughs> uh, get out and start blasting. So you, you can you can try to drive the getaway car with uh, hopefully better vehicle controls. Yeah, the ability to, uh, to actually dip out. That would be really cool. You can now respec, which is awesome, or respec easier. Um you can add a lot more uh, cyber mods. Uh, they've overhauled some of the skill trees in 2.0. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's a lot to break through. I'll get to it eventually. The the backlog is piling up so hard. I, I've barely gotten into Baldur's Gate 3. I'm trying to work my way through Starfield. <laughs> I haven't even finished Bob Rush yet. Yeah. I've got this shit. I got. I'm a busy man. <laughs> so we many could, games. Yeah, I I think with this, I we gotta start thinking a little more seriously about putting putting up some weekend 
now that now that the season of outside is coming <laughs> to a slow close. Yeah. It's now the season can, of gaming. Can yeah, put in some more hours this winter for sure. Um and we'll put them on maybe we'll put them on stream, who knows. Yeah. Uh so in other anything else from uh Phantom Liberty? Um, just, I just wanted to, to make mention that it was out and reviewing well, and the 2.0 patch is also out. So even if you're someone who hasn't played cyberpunk in a while and don't necessarily want to jump right into a DLC, there's, there's some new stuff for you to explore there and, and get the game a second chance. Yeah. Um, now, now that you've said your backlog is building up, now we get to, uh, put one more right on top coming up soon. Uh, Spider uh, Insomniac Spider-Man 2 has gone gold. Well, fortunately for me, it'll be a couple of years before that gets onto the PC. So yeah. <laughs> that problem's taken care of itself for me. Fair enough. So I guess the gold term means that it is ready to print and go, yeah. go online. Although so. going gold doesn't mean shit anymore. Um, there have been a lot of fairly high profile instances in recent years of games being being gold which means ready to ship ready to print on the disc but then uh either being delayed a couple days because they didn't iron out something or still having a huge day one patch yeah um that being said their plan is to have these shipped or released october 20th so we yep. will start seeing spider-man so. 2 in uh next month Yep. So uh, everyone's excited that. about that. Instead of my other small uh, tidbit news piece here, um, from my god mainstream news from CBS. That's a weird gamer news site. Um, CBS. Baby. Uh, consumers can now claim part of a 245 million Fortnite refund as part of a class action lawsuit. Uh, FTC um, got a they did a settlement with Epic uh, because of the the predatory nature of the Fortnite V Bucks store. Um, they've ruled that as unethical um, and predatory business practices. So you can some if if your kid spent all your money on V Bucks, you can contact the FTC and get a refund of some variety. Yeah, how much they how much the final settlement um, well comes through. So yeah, they'll send an email to you, or or an email. Usually, it's actually a snail mail correspondence. As as I have been weirdly a beneficiary of more than one class action lawsuit <laughs> in my not so long time on this planet, I've I've yep. gotten like three. Um, they've never been for any amount of money because the only people who ever make money on a class action lawsuit are lawyers. Um, right. But usually they send you a written correspondence saying that uh, you may be entitled to compensation, like those mesothelioma <laughs> commercials, um, and you can go through, they'll outline the steps you have to go through to claim your uh, your benefit. And I think that the biggest one I got, it was for like NVIDIA cards from a certain uh, era. And it was like 35 bucks. It wasn't anything super significant. 
Uh, but it did trounce the other ones, which were like 46 cents. It would have cost more for me to mail in the thing <laughs> to redeem it than I would have gotten. <laughs> yes. Um, so it actually looks like how they're doing that this time around is this is going to be a pool from which you can file a claim and draw a uh, your lost funds from. So to file it, you can, for those of you at home, for all you guys broke on V-Bucks, uh, <laughs> email fortnightrefund at rcnotifications.com by October 19th. Uh, that and it will provide you with instructions on how to file a claim. Either that, or you can use your Epic ID to file a claim right on their site. Um, you can call them at their it has a number here or at admin at fortniterefund.com for help. Consumers have until January seventeenth, twenty twenty four, to submit a claim. Anyone with questions can call the FTC at uh, the, they provide a number or at the same email. So. Get your money back. Get that money. Get that bread. And then get that corn. Get those enchiladas. And uh, eat them a million miles away from home. Yes. Um, Yeah, so this we just said we were in a mood. We were in the the momentum of uh, inspirational, uplifting kind of movies. So we said... Hey, this movie came out a while back. Let's oh, actually, this is this is fairly recent. I don't think it's been out for terribly long. Okay. Yes. Actually, um, I remember this I might be its first, maybe second week. Yes. I remember I seeing an advertisement like less than a week old. A yeah. So I I saw it. I saw um, the ad for it on my uh, Android TV homepage. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that that trailer. What I remember most about it was our idea for the ending of him getting on board the Challenger. And it just pans out to, to reveal the name on the space shuttle. Turns out. Uh, yeah, they. we were around it. We yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is, it is a, a good um movie of this kind i think it does what flaming hot tried to do i i agree Uh, there i think that's a good assessment where again this is not i would not call this great especially considered to compared to something like remember the titans which we watched which we watched last week but yeah it's it's trying to build those things of uh america and latin heritage and um upward you know excellence and a little bit of magical realism yeah this felt like a more accurate representation of uh you know mexican culture in the united states mm-hmm. of this time and there are a lot of things like you know the blessing uh when you when you travel and all that that just wasn't in flaming hot flaming hot's idea of like mexican culture was spicy food spicy what if what if Cheetos? Where whereas this one uh was a little more nuanced in its approach. Uh with like, you know, conservative families, like, you know, you're not my daughter doesn't go out on dates. You you can visit her here, but I have to be here too. Um you know, that's as as someone who dated a Hispanic girl, it do be like that sometimes. Yep. You have to you have to honor the father and the parents. You have to court the daughter, yeah. Uh, stuff like that. Um, 
the a better idea of like California in that time period and um, a, just a, a general a better story a better level of storytelling I would say. Yeah, I think this is this is a pretty well made movie. There's nothing particularly snazzy about it, but uh, Michael Pena turns in a a pretty good performance in the lead role here. Um, the writing can at times border on to the cheesy territory with how hard they hit some of the the tropes of these inspirational movies. Yeah. But on on the whole, I think it does a good good enough job of telling a, a fairly interesting life story. Like this has I'm, I'm gonna keep bringing it back to Flaming Hot, because uh, it is in a lot of ways a fairly similar movie, just done a lot worse. Um, I think this tells a better story than something like Flaming Hot. There's more substance there. Yep. Because, like, you know, going to space is actually a meaningful achievement, not yeah. flavoring Cheetos. And it's actually also happened in real life. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just a, 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 I guess, a corporate folk story. Um, yeah, this is as, a, as an advertisement for NASA, if we're going to call it, if you almost want to treat this as a product biopic, this is much better as an endorsement of NASA. Um, in, in some ways. Then then Flamin' Hot or Air or BlackBerry was an endorsement of those companies, well, especially BlackBerry. That was a, that I think, what that movie's trying to do. I think NASA in this movie is more like symbolic of his dream. I don't think they paint the National uh, Aeronautics and Space Administration as like a super great, company like you know he was repeatedly rejected even as he built his resume up they don't make him out to be bad i guess no. i should say it's just kind of yeah I should a clarify. stepping stone to yeah. his his Gold. destination i should clarify my point and kind of how i felt about when watching that because so the whole story it's the whole it's his whole story right from a kid to space every step kind of every big step in between um yeah and the last chapter of it is his time at NASA in the in the candidate program, and I felt they did a very good job of conveying that this is some of the most stringent testing that you have to undergo. This is yeah, like the, astronauts are the best of the best. Like this is one of the very few institutions you can call le- legitimately call elite in in yeah. the world. Oh, absolutely. Um, and they definitely, again, they conveyed that very well. Especially at that time. Like, nowadays, they don't really have the funding to do that sort of stuff. But, like, yeah, at that time, with the ISS was... The ISS... I'm going to go on a little side tangent about the ISS here. Please, the ISS is a lot like this movie in some <laughs> okay. respects. Because, like... It's, it was a big aspirational goal, right? All these different nations are going to come together and we're going to pool our resources to build this uh, space station that we can, you know, stage bigger missions from, do a lot of important scientific research about space on, and, you know, monitor things on Earth, just generally advance the scientific nature, uh, the scientific knowledge of the world and you know humans in in general um and so it's a very it was a very noble goal to achieve to to aim towards and a lot of hard work was put into it 
but eventually reality and politics kind of gets in the way, which kind of happened to him a couple times on this. And unfortunately for the International Space Station, there's not going to be a happy ending. Uh, it's never going to be completed to the original plan. Of uh, Supposedly, it was supposed to be about the length of two football fields um, and its oh. final configuration, and you would be able to see it with your naked eye from the ground at certain times of day in certain parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it was a big project, and it just cost a lot of money, and the relationships between the nations involved uh, kind of shifted as geopolitical relationships tend to do. And uh, all of a sudden the, the idea of shoveling a lot of money into something that wasn't going to yield a lot of immediate benefit uh, didn't seem appealing. And I'm not necessarily sure that was the wrong conclusion in a lot of cases. Like I know when we pulled a lot of funding from NASA, we weren't in a position to be dedicating a lot of money to space program. We had a lot of terrestrial problems we had to work out. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the story. The dream of space, uh, not squandered, not crushed, but uh, diminished by the by the politics of Earth. But yeah, um, the ISS kind of was like, it was a cool idea because it felt like we were taking our first steps towards like that Star Trek halcyon future where, mm-hmm. you know, humanity was all about advancing humanity and lifting each other up instead of tearing us down. <laughs> yeah. That and the, um, and between the ISS and the space shuttle program. All right. Also brief learn about the space shuttle and why, you know, you had more than one of them explode on you. Terrible fucking design. Like, I don't know who came up with the space shuttle and what it proved. And a lot of smart people worked at NASA. Someone must've been, able to raise the same kind of red flags that even I as a kid was like, is that really the best way to do that? Um, please, please elaborate. Well, it's just, it's not you've got, to me. it's, it uses, th- first off, it uses three different fuel sources. Well, two different fuel sources, but it has three major thrust components. You have two nice. solid rocket boosters that are just a pain. The fact that it's two of them, really sucks because you have to they they have to be made from the same batch of raw materials right. otherwise you'll have uneven thrust and shit goes bad and it's they're very big so there's not a lot of plants that can process one of them let alone two of them and they have to be brought in later and then you have the giant liquid rocket boosters the big orange tank which helps propel it further right and then you have a separate set of thrusters on the back why does it need to be that many stages when the Saturn V was a single fucking rocket that went all the way to the goddamn moon back in the 70s? It seemed that I, when I look at the space shuttle and how needlessly complicated it, it was, I like some of the design makes sense for like the kinds of missions it was running where you wanted to be able to like dock somewhere and return safely but it screams to me and i'm sure someone will point out why i'm wrong and it was actually the best design at the time yeah that's right nasa if you're hearing this like and subscribe to our (laughs) podcast and respond to us in the comments below but it seems to me it screams to me of government contracts being handed out to friends of people in power 
and kind of getting fat off of it because I feel like if they really wanted to streamline it and make it easier to produce, that could have been done. And probably safer because it turns out when you strap <laughs> when you strap one of these things to what is essentially a hydrogen bomb, <laughs> if things go even a little cattywampus, it's going to be real bad. Yeah. Um, for all for everything you can say about uh, SpaceX and these the commercial space companies of the 2020s, um, the designs that they have chosen for their uh, reusable rocket designs uh, notably do not look like space shuttles. Yeah. Just say. Take that for what it's worth. Um, regardless of that, um, back to the, I guess back to the story. Um, there's, again, we kind of cover the broad strokes, but um, I liked, I did like, it. it's a, I was, I was trying to, compare this to attack of the titans but again they're they are attack like, of really the titans. different movies um they, there's not too much in common there um but i just i it struck me that this was more stripped down cast um as you have in a lot of these these more recent ones but, but yeah it's, it's a definitely fine. a more personal story yeah um there were some kind of there were some stray plot threads which i think started and didn't really yeah develop into anything like the part like there's a part where he was where he gets his engineering job um and this might just be a casualty of real life where uh they show a montage of him like he stops driving his impala into work uh he starts he stops listening to um latin music on the radio yeah leading so, to us getting rickrolled thank you Thank you. That's one of the, uh, so like I I outlined some of the stuff I liked about this movie. Some of the stuff I didn't like about the movie is they worked, they worked pretty hard to manufacture drama in, in some spots. Like there's, there's a scene in the middle of the movie where he and his wife get into his art, this argument about him not telling her that he was applying to NASA. And she has like no leg to stand on in this argument and is just, completely disproportionately mad to the level of transgression that this was <laughs> yeah it, it seemed to me but that they probably... had to have a fight for the for the sake of the movie and it really didn't amount to anything because like two scenes later she's like yeah you're gonna follow your dream so like what what even was the point of that and like you said with the the uh, you know him wanting to blend in and not necessarily be wanting to be like the Latino guy. Like, so he stopped driving his, you know, tricked out Impala. He got a more reasonable car. He stopped listening to Latin music. He, he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be the enchilada guy at work, which I mean, fuck, I'd, I'd happily be the enchilada. If someone was making me enchiladas, bring to work, I'd happily be the enchilada guy at work. Um, but, you know, it's that and how these types of movies tend to uh, exaggerate the level of, like, resistance to the minority person breaking in to the industry. Like, I can't speak for the company he worked at for his first engineering job, but, like, mm -hmm. it's 1985. And when we get to NASA, to the movie's credit, that becomes less of a thing because, you know, they have to because it's historical point out to the fact that yeah. at this point there had been several 
non-white astronauts and even female astronauts and even astronauts that were non-white and female at the same time (laughs) going on the shuttle directly in front of his it's Um, almost as if it were a meritocracy (laughs) yeah um but it was yeah lawrence livermore which is a big laser lab um out i guess out in california around a bunch of places i don't know that's um, silicon valley baby santa cruz yep um yeah, so like my I guess to my point, like that's a thread that doesn't it doesn't have like a payoff. Like, yeah, he kinda changes his lifestyle, but no you know, it never becomes a point of tension with like with his family. You know, they may like crack a little couple jokes about it, but he's still really tight with his family. Um he kept Yeah, and he like embraces the culture when he's at NASA or and more even more established in his job, like you just see him kinda <laughs> fucking being a professional being with his family and like still like partaking in all the traditions you'd expect him to partake in yeah it's actually it's all i almost feel like they kind of downplay how again like a lot of astronauts are like really nice people they're like really good character people um and they kind of almost downplay that where he's doing his astronaut training and he's still finding time to work at his wife's restaurant and like help her out yeah. In addition to helping out with the family. And she gets to have her restaurant in the end. So, like, even more, like, what was that big fight about? And it's not like he was asking her to give up her restaurant dream right. for him to pursue his dream. So, I just, I don't understand where the friction in that scene was supposed to come from. Um, yeah. And it, it feels like some of that stuff's in there just to pad the runtime of the movie or, you know, when they sat down with this guy or read his memoir, like he mentioned some of that stuff and like, Oh yeah, we got to have that in the movie. But this movie ended up being two hours, two hours and one minute. And I really think you could have cut it down to like an hour 50 hour 55 and trim some of this fat. And it would have been a, a stronger movie for it. Yeah. I will say even in the, even in the structural editing of the film, I feel like there was some parts where the it wasn't paced very well. Um, there are some parts that just really whip by you, um, and then there are parts where it would start to drag, and it wasn't very evenly distributed. Yeah. It, it kind of feels like... It almost feels like there was the... They went through and they did the edit, and the studio was like, we got to take some stuff out. And then they took some stuff out. And then the director, like, begged for them to put some stuff back in. But they didn't, like, change the edit around to to incorporate it more organically. They just put the scenes back in. And, like, yeah, here's good. Yeah. The, uh... Yeah. But, um, Michael Pena does a really good job at playing... He does a pretty good job playing an awkward nerd. Um, he's got... He had really great on-screen ca- chemistry with the lead actress, IMO. Yeah, Rosa Salazar. I believe yes. that they were together. Like Which is act- more than I can... Or the characters you're talking about. Yeah, like I believe... Okay. They gave a convincing performance where I like, I believe, oh yes, these, these people are married. These people are in love. Not like Ghosted. <laughs> yeah. Where you're like, I don't believe that Ana de Armas and Chris Evans even like each other. <laughs> Nope. Or, um, Which is weird because they had much better chemistry in different movies together. 
or what was the uh, you people, which was oh, yeah. the worst chemistry, no chemistry. Apparently IRL too, because they had the CGI the the kiss. Yeah. Oh, she was uh, was she the little battle angel herself? Yes, she was. She was. Yeah. I because okay, I, I knew I remember seeing her in other places. Like she has a very little distinctive battle face. angel. A little. Yeah. They they definitely like uh, altered her uh, appearance for that role. Um. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but, they they did. I think they gave her the anime eyes, right? Yeah, they gave her like huge fucking eyes, and her eyes are she's got pretty big doe that's eyes be, to to honestly, begin with. But they definitely that's gotta augmented. be really weird to watch during like the premiere, and you see your own self, but your eyes are like yeah, twice I don't, as big. I don't know how I'd hand, I don't think I'd like that to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> That would I feel like that would sketch me out a little bit. I think when they show when the when if they were to show me like the first dailies, I'd be like, uh, uh okay. you sure? You sure James, that's how you want to do that? <laughs> James Cameron descends from his his hover pod. It's like, yes, this is all my intent. Everything is going as planned. That ascends back up in a beam of light. <laughs> I believe I believe James Cameron has a floating city. That lives in Halcyon glory. <laughs> his own design. But um yeah, um Yeah, it was it was good. It was I think it, it definitely the toughest part was trying to incorporate what probably was just uh, you know, it wasn't a dramatic story. I'm sure it was a very tough, you know, there was a lot of story to tell, uh, but maybe not uh the most adaptable to a movie. Like I can yeah. totally imagine that this whole the process was stressful on him and the family and it caused a lot of friction with trying to balance all that stuff, but it's not, it's tough to translate that into. Yeah. It's a good story, but maybe not a super cinematic one. Like, you know, going from a migrant farmer and, you know, busting your ass, getting an engineering degree and then going out and acquiring all these extra skills because you had a childhood dream that you were going to go to space and, God damn, you were going to go to space. Great story. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily translate super well to a movie. Well, it could, which is why I feel like if they, they kind of trimmed it down a little bit more, you could stretch you could stretch that premise into a fairly entertaining 90-minute movie, although you might struggle to kind of fit a traditional plot structure to it. Where you have you know the the climax, the emotional climax, and all that sort of things, which is kind of how this this ended up being. Where, but I I liked the parts of the movie best where it was just kind of like dryly recounting his life story. Yeah, um, he, you can well, just see him making his improvements and and getting closer to his goal. Yeah, seeing his life as it went by. The scenes I didn't like so much were like, you know, all the ones we touched on where they kind of had to force some sort of conflict in there to to keep the audience interested. Right. Um, which, if we, I guess if we want to talk about, I guess, conflict sort of, but um, I, I know this is a based on a true story, historical story about things that actually happened, but uh, the Challenger explosion still took me by surprise. For a second. Uh, it was Columbia. Oh, uh, Columbia, yeah. 
Yeah, Challenger was after the one he went on. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, that one was like, I again, I was, I was when I was when that happened. Um, I was not like a dumb brain dead child. I was not a little toddler baby, but I was also not someone who paid the most attention to current events. I don't think you were alive when the Columbia blew up. Oh, was that in the 90s? I thought that one was in the 2000s. No, I don't think we had any blow up in the 2000s. It was very boring. Okay. Uh, well, Spatial that, Columbia was that. much better. 1981, which doesn't really fit with the timeline they established in this movie, but... Yeah. Um, okay. I, you know, that is that is one of the liberties that they took. I, I was wondering what kind of shifting they do because there's every one of these movies you have to do the shifting around to kind of make things arrange things dramatically um and i i didn't look into it like i did with like gran turismo um so it looks it sounds like they moved yeah they moved some of the dates around to kind yeah. of put that together and i think that's a good beat right to remind everyone of you know for everyone who was there the, the danger yeah. of the actual stakes of what he's doing and the real danger of it and yeah why he has to be his best and everything he has to lose it's a great like in a movie that doesn't have a lot of conflict that's a really strong way to to raise the stakes and i i can see why they really wanted to make sure that was in there oh, hold on okay so i guess the columbia it had a, a many different flights so the first flight was in 1981, its last flight being in 2003. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, all right, so yes. So, right, the one where it blew up was in 2003. Okay. The Challenger was was the one in the 80s, which they didn't show, interestingly enough. But, yeah, okay, so that matches more with the timeline. Yes, so... We were not dumb brain dead children. I do remember it. I remember hearing about it and I remember hearing a lot of people because like this is around the age where I was really getting into like the idea of space. Um, mm -hmm. So I definitely remember hearing about it and then hearing a lot of people making references to the Challenger. Um, right. Yeah, so this was yeah STS one oh seven, which I I was reading some comments and folks who, who again who were more present of mind during that, heard that and it's like oh yeah it's this is this is gonna be that, um, but again for me, yeah it did still come kind of come out of nowhere for me, um, and worked as a very good a very strong dramatic device. Yeah. In addition I'm to, at the, but good look, like looking memorial. at the picture of the crew. And um, the uh, the actress who played the the only Indian lady <laughs> mm -hmm. that she possibly could have been here um, does not look a great deal like the actual person. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm trying to zoom in. Who's the? Uh, oh my god. Oh man. Oh, I'm really sad because the guy. I thought the guy right next to him was the one who was played by. Um, uh in the movie he was the guy who trained the uh this the program let me go find the imdb gosh um 
No, because he he was the the pilot on the mission that. Right. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, Stir Sturho Star Starfo, something like that. Yeah. Um, but let me re- I just remind myself he was played by, um. Uh, not Eric Johnson. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Garrett Dillahunt. Um, Garrett Dillahunt's character. I thought that the guy right next to her was Garrett Dillahunt's character, but no, he is Willie McCool. What yeah. an amazing name, I gotta say. It's it's a good one. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it it goes show like space travel has inherent dangers with it. Um, a lot of forces involved. <laughs> And uh, once again, gotta say, space shuttle, not the best design, and we used it for so long. <laughs> yeah, we we ran the wheels off of that thing, uh, met metaphorically over the over the years. In addition to, yeah. I guess yeah, in addition to literally, literally, right. in in some cases, yeah. Um, no, good. Yeah, I say strong performances. I. It does have a happy ending in the end, which, again, I'm always on the hunt for those. I need those. I have people in my family who, who will crave those and need... They have very particular tastes in their, in their media viewing. Um, so having something that will make them optimistic after they're done watching it is very important. Um, yeah. So this, this goes in that collection. Um, yeah, I would not feel bad busting this out to any just if for for a movie night yeah yeah honestly looking at the box office um and you know my general perception of the quality of many of these films i would say that this is certainly a viable alternative if you want to do a movie night and don't want to go out to the movies to see any of the the things out there i'd say this is probably better than a lot of movies that are new out in theaters which of which there aren't many Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's a solid like six and a half, seven out of ten movie for me. Yeah, uh, it's a kind of wide swing on my scale, but <laughs> it's somewhere in there. Yeah, this um, my only my one last gripe with this. It's not even a gripe, but it is a gripe. <laughs> is the question? It's the ultimate question. U.S. history professors, how are you going to fit this one to your into your uh, rotation? I don't know, dude. I don't think they because they don't really kind of movie that you could put on as like a movie day kind of movie, but it's about the space program, which is not a huge like it. It does cover a lot of time, and although the space race is usually is always covered in U.S. history classes, but Um, only like just like it's covered as an ancillary part of the Cold War study. Like you don't, they don't do a lot of like at least in my history education there wasn't a lot of like deep dives into space program and stuff like that like you learn that they engaged in the space race soviets put sputnik up we went to the moon in 69 that's about as much as they covered they don't really get into the space shuttle program too much in most history courses although you could very i could very easily see a teacher coming up with a an assignment for this because there are there are a lot of U.S. history themes in there. There's 
there's migrant workers in the 80s. There's, you know, kind of the Reagan years aspects of it. You don't see a lot of that in there, but, you know, the effects of, you know, kind of the Reagan era are, are certainly present in, in you know, the that time period of the movie. Um, and obviously you have the, the space element of it. Um, I don't think this is... I don't think it's going to be in the rotation over mm-hmm. many of the other Something like, history like movie October staples. Sky, maybe. Like October Sky, is, that has like an eternal slot in there. Yeah, like Saving Private Ryan or um, League of Their Own, even. Yeah. Forrest Gump, obviously, is is like the windmill slam dunk U.S. history movie. <laughs> so I guess as a follow-up question, you may be able to answer this, and I kind of wanted to fish for this the whole thing, the whole time. Would, okay. would they show this movie at Space Camp? Do they show um, movies like this at Space Camp? Yeah, yeah, they they absolutely would. So usually you only get movies if like it's really you were there was a planned activity outside or it was really uh, nasty out. Or um, I think they did like one movie night where you could just attend, and they would they would show you a movie. But the most of the movies I got to watch there were for people who either like had a flight that came in a little bit before camp was started or had a flight going back home a little bit after their camp program had ended. So they would, and I was in that situation. I think I had like two extra days there after like my program of activities had concluded. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, obviously you watched the movies that you would expect, like Apollo 13. And that's pretty much the only space, like, the joke was that Aviation Challenge, which is also in Huntsville, Alabama, got better movies because they could show shit like Black Hawk Down and have it yeah. be uh, thematically appropriate. So since there's such a dearth of the movies, I absolutely 100% believe this is going to be shown uh, at Space Camp at some point in yeah. the, the future. And for more of Kurt's, I know this is kind of the end, which is <laughs> unfortunate place to put this because I wanted to, I would love to expound long about uh more of Kurt Space Camp stories, but I think we could do a whole feature on Space Camp. Honestly, <laughs> is there a Space Camp? There's got to be a Space Camp like movie, like a comedy movie. Let me hey, see. Maybe, but Space not... Camp 1986. Young, yeah, here you go. It's a it's a cheapy kids movie. Young attendees of a space camp find themselves in space for real when their shuttle is accidentally launched into orbit. Yeah. Um. So maybe we'll maybe we'll watch that at some point, and Kurt can use that as a vehicle to tell <laughs> some more space camp stories. I have I have a few. Um. But yeah, that's this. Um. As. Y'all, y'all know a lot about my interest in space now. <laughs> y'all know, yep. <laughs> which uh, I honestly, for how big it was, and I, I'm still interested in a lot of regards. But NASA hasn't had money to do anything in a while, so kind of fallen out of out of you know following it too too much. But right. uh, you know, it's one of those things that I'm surprised I just don't talk more about. Because for for a good while there, I I also had the dream of wanting to be in the space program. Not necessarily an astronaut. I always was a little nervous about actually going into space, but certainly wanted to be part of the space program. 
it's, it's uh, a good dream to have. And this also, again, this is pretty high up on the the uh, inspiration in a can-ometer. And actually, you know, as it turns out, I was tangentially involved in the space program because I've worked for two companies now that uh, service space We're, flight yeah. and space exploration. Turns out working <laughs> in high-performance materials means that aerospace companies uh, want, want the things that you make. So in a broad sense, I achieved my dream. <laughs> that's right, baby. And and I think that's that's the perfect message to end it on. Um, thanks for listening to episode three eighty five. We'll be back next week with the creator. Um, and until such, and, th- no, yeah. <laughs> until that time, we will stay safe and probably like it's nineteen ninety five. Peace. Bye bye. <laughs>